Good morning. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 3 today, 1 through 13. So I'll go ahead and read the passage. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, member of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness according to uh, boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. All right, if you're, if you're new at BC, one of the things we do is on the first and third Sunday of the month, kids are in here with us, uh, like elementary school age kids, and then on the second and fourth week of the month, they, they go to a thing called Kids Connect. And so kids, you guys are in here today. How about you raise up your hand so I can see you? Where are you guys at? All right, so put your hands down. My first question for you is, how many of you, like, if, you know, you were to go home and, like, open up your dresser or open up your closet, how many of you would have clean clothes in there? Okay, so put your hands down. Okay, how many of you have clean clothes because your clothes never get dirty? Okay, so now I'm confused. Where do all these clean clothes come from? Levi, what do you got? The laundry. So how many of you do your own laundry for real life? All right. So some, some older kids, maybe. So who does, who does your laundry? Occasionally. All right. Lucy, what do you got? Mom does it. Evie? Mom and dad. Sean's better than me. I get it. All right. Ben, what do you got? Mom and dad. Tim, too. Kate? Ooh, that's the hard part. So someone, for most of us, someone else does it. Sometimes we do our own, but, but other people help us. Here's my question, next question for you. Is laundry, like washing and drying the clothes, folding them, putting them away, is that fun? No. Yeah, not, not really, right? No one likes to do laundry. Okay, so then here's my question. Why does your mom, your dad, do your laundry for you if it's not fun? Eleanor? 
because they don't want your clothes to stink. All right, a little, <laughs> little self-preservation, maybe. Kate? They love us. They love us, right? Because your parents care about you, they don't want you to stink. Because they love you, they, they do your laundry even though it's not fun. The reason why we're talking about this is because Paul, the Apostle Paul in our passage today, is writing a letter to the Ephesians, and he tells them that he's doing something that's, that's way worse than laundry. He's in prison. And he's explaining to them why he's willing to, to do hard things, while he's willing to suffer for the Ephesians, and it's because he cares about them. He wants them to hear the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. So he does things that, that he doesn't like doing, that, that don't benefit him, that, that harm him because of his love for the church. And so, kids, you're going to go home, and what you're going to do is you're going to ask your parents about what they learned about why Paul does what he does for the Ephesians. Parents, you're going to go home and you're going to preach the gospel to your kids because that's the answer. That's why Paul is a minister who suffers on behalf of the church. So let's, let's pray and then we'll get into this passage together. Father, we thank you that you are good and you are glorious and, and you are immeasurably rich in grace. And that even when we were dead in our sin, you sent Jesus to save us. And so we pray this morning that as, as Paul unpacks more of that great gospel truth for us, and he talks about, about why he's a minister, that what you would do for us is not stir our affections for Paul, but that you would stir our affections for you, for who you are and what you've done for us. God, we pray you would send your spirit and help us to, to understand and, and benefit from your word together this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf, that you are unsearchably rich and you invite us into a life with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Ephesians chapter 3 is what, is what Sean read for us. And up to this point in Ephesians so far, we've seen Paul kind of, he's, he started by, by praising God because in Jesus, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We've seen Paul like give thanks for and, and pray for the Ephesians that they would be able to know more and understand more and embrace more of the reality of what Christ has done for them. We've seen Paul kind of account or like recount gospel reality after gospel reality after gospel reality in Ephesians 2. Uh, and then last week, Daniel talked about how, uh, you know, Paul talked about who the Ephesians or who the Ephesians were before as Gentiles. They were separate separated from God. They were aliens and strangers. They were without hope and without God in the world. But because of Jesus, they've been brought near. They've been reconciled. They've been brought near, not just to God, but to, to other people in community. And so in our passage today that, that Sean read for us, Paul's going to do two main things. He's essentially going to give them a little bit of background information that they need and then he's going to tell them why he does what he does. So he's essentially saying, hey, this is, this is more stuff about me that you need to know to understand why I do what I do. And so he's talking about his ministry on their behalf. And so before we get into this, what we're going to do is we're just going to jump to the end. 
Right, we're going we're to get the answer at the beginning. Why does Paul do what he does? He tells us in verse 13 that Sean read. He says, he's telling them these things, all this stuff. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul is, is suffering and his concern as he's suffering, it's, it's not for himself. It's for the church. It's for the Ephesians. He, he doesn't want them to be discouraged, which is a little crazy when you think about it, right? If I'm in prison, I'm probably going to be thinking about me and all the hard things that I'm facing. But Paul is thinking about them. And so he's going he's to tell them about his ministry to encourage them, to, to build them up so that they don't lose heart because of his suffering. So Paul here in this passage is trying to explain to the Ephesians why he's suffering on their behalf. So let's go back to verse 1. Paul says, for this reason. So because of everything he's already said in Ephesians 1 and 2, all, all this gospel truth that he's unpacked for them, because of these things, Paul is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you, the, the, the Gentiles. And the most important thing for us to know about this statement Paul makes is that this is not a metaphor for him. Right? This is not Paul using flowery, poetic language to try to make a point and seem edgy. When Paul says he's a prisoner of Christ, what he means is, I'm in prison for Christ. Ephesians was written around AD 62 when, when Paul was imprisoned uh, in, in, in Rome. Like, so he's in prison writing this letter. When he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus, he means, I'm a prisoner for Jesus. So he's telling this to the Ephesians. He's saying, I'm in prison. And he's assuming something about them. He assumes that they, they've heard about him. He says that they've heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to Paul for the Gentiles. So Paul here, as he's, he's writing to the Ephesians, he's beginning to give them some information about himself so they can understand why he's willing to suffer on their behalf. And he recognizes that maybe not all the Ephesians know Paul. Paul was there, he, he planted the church, but then he left and something crazy happened while Paul was gone. The church preached the gospel and people believed the gospel and the church grew so that when Paul writes to them, there are people in the church that don't know Paul, that have never met him. And so he's going to tell them some about himself. He tells them some of his story. So he says in verse 3, he talks about how the, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So Paul, in this letter already, Ephesians 1 and 2, and the, the, the stuff that we've been through, he talks about the, the mystery of the gospel. He's going to tell them more about this in verse 6. But Paul, in two chapters already, has been unpacking and putting on display the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And Paul says that that was briefly. Briefer than some of his other letters. But he's saying, like, this, this mystery was revealed to Paul. This, this mystery of the gospel was revealed to him. It was revealed to him on Damascus Road when he was converted. In verse 4, he says that, that when they read this letter, they're going to perceive his insight into the mystery of Christ. And I think Paul can be very confident of this fact. Because I would say that if we actually read Paul's letters, like Ephesians, Right? It's impossible for us not to conclude that God has given Paul extraordinary, supernatural insight into the reality of the gospel, right? Such a, if you think about it, such, such a huge percentage 
of what we know and believe and think about Jesus is because of what Paul has written. God used Paul to reveal the mysteries of Christ to the, the Ephesians and the Romans and the Corinthians and the Galatians and the Philippians and the Colossians and the Thessalonians and Philemon and Timothy and Titus and us. Right? Paul has been unpacking gospel truth for everyone. Verse 5, he says, this, this mystery, it, it wasn't made known to previous generations like it has been now through the apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. So the Spirit is doing this, this new, unique work through Paul as he's preaching the gospel to the church and he's writing these letters to the church. So he's been talking about how he's this, this minister of this mystery. And then in verse 6, he finally tells us what the mystery is. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery that Paul's been talking about, that he's been made a minister, is, is the good news of the gospel in Jesus that the Gentiles, who were formerly aliens and strangers, who were formerly on the outside looking in, now they've been included. They're, they're fellow heirs. They're, they're part of the family. They're members of the same body. They're partakers of the same promises. All those things in the Old Testament that were only for Israel, that were only for people who were literal descendants of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, all of those things, they don't just apply to one people. They apply to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. This is the mystery that Paul has been made a minister of. And that's good news. Right? Remember last week when Daniel talked about that, that bad news. Right, that, that we're separated, we're aliens, we're strangers, we're, we're without God and without hope in the world. And not just us as individuals, but us and everyone that we care about that isn't a literal descendant of Abraham, which is pretty much everyone that we know and care about. But now, Paul says, because of Jesus, us, and everyone we care about who trusts in Jesus is part of that family, is a heir, is a partaker of the promise. This is the background information that Paul wants to give the Ephesians so they can understand what comes next. Next, Paul says, he's a minister of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to him by God's power. So Paul is saying here, that he didn't earn or he's not entitled to be a minister of the gospel. It's solely by God's grace. But Paul says that even though he's, he's, he's the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to Paul. You know, there's that, that part in the Old Testament where Moses seems to say that Moses is like the most humble guy ever. And you read that and you think, I don't think you can say that about yourself. But when Paul here says that he's the very least of the saints, like, I, don't, I don't think this is embellishment. I don't think this is false humility. I think this is Paul like owning and, and embracing the, the depths of his own wickedness. 
Paul knows, he, he remembers, because it wasn't that long ago. He knows who he was before Jesus saved him on the Damascus Road. He was headed there to, to capture and, and harm and kill Christians under the name of God. Paul knows his brokenness, and it's, it's bad. But he also knows who he is in Jesus. And because of that, he can be honest with the Ephesians. He can open up about the fact that he's, he's the very least of all the saints. He's only a minister because of God's grace. Like he knows who he is and he embraces it because he knows who Jesus is and he embraces Jesus. And then here at the end of verse eight, he, he tells us about his ministry. He says it's, it's to do two things. So Paul's been telling them about who he is and now he's going to tell them about what he does. Two things. Number one, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And number two, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So there's three things we need to see about about Paul's ministry and the way he explains it here. The first thing is that Paul in his ministry has a specific focus on the Gentiles. When Paul first started his ministry, he, would, he had this kind of pattern, this routine. He would come to a new place, and he would go to the synagogue first. He would go to where his, his people were and try and preach the good news of Jesus to them, and then he would go maybe to the marketplace or somewhere else to the Gentiles. But eventually what happens is Paul has faced rejection in so many synagogues, he says, fine, I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. God showed him through that pattern that the Gentiles was what he was called for. God opened up doors among them, and that's Paul's focus now. The second thing we need to see about this is that his aim, Paul says, is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So in Ephesians, he's already talked about the the immeasurable riches of his grace. Now he's talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And just like when we talk about measuring, what we need to get here is that this doesn't mean that the searching is difficult. It means that it's impossible. And so if we were to get a big old truck and put a big old haystack on this stage, and then one of you was to hide a needle in it, right? A literal needle in a haystack. And then the rest of us were to try to find it. That wouldn't be impossible. It would be a waste of time. (laughs) But with enough time and resources and maybe a metal detector or some magnets, like we could find that needle, What if it wasn't a needle? What if it was a specific piece of hay that you took a picture of and you were like, find this piece of hay and then hit it in there? Again, that would not be impossible. It would be difficult. It would be time consuming. It would be an even bigger waste of time, but we could do it eventually. When we we talk about the unsearchable riches of Jesus, Paul does not mean that it's like finding a piece of hay in a haystack. What he means is that because of the fact that we are humans and we are limited and we are finite and our brains aren't as big as we think our brains are, that searching out all the riches of Jesus is just beyond our capability for searching. 
Right? We can never fully search it out. We can never fully know. We can never fully comprehend the riches of Jesus, not because, you know, there's not enough of them, but because there's not enough of us. Right? He is greater and better and richer than we will ever be capable of knowing. But Paul says that it's his job to move people along that spectrum from not knowing at all the riches of Jesus to knowing more and more and more and more and more of the unsearchable riches of Christ forever. That's Paul's ministry. The third thing we need to see about what Paul says is that he says it's his aim to bring to light God's mysterious plan, which was hidden for the ages. So what Paul is saying here is that his ministry of the gospel, like he's not, he's not doing anything new. All that he's doing is he's saying like, this has been God's plan all along, right? From the very beginning, when human beings rejected God and rebelled against them and Adam and Eve said, we don't want to do what you want. We want to do what we want. And God kicked them out of the garden. God's plan has been to restore people and overturn the curse of the fall in Jesus. And now as Paul is specifically talking about the Gentiles being included, he's saying that's not a new thing. This mystery isn't isn't new. It's been part of his plan forever. God's plan was always through Abraham to bless all the nations. And he does that in Jesus. And so Paul's ministry is to preach and to bring to light these glorious gospel truths. Why? Why does he do this? Why is he willing to suffer and endure imprisonment for these things? Well, look at verses 10 through 12. So that through the church, that's the the new people of God because of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, so that through the Ephesians, so that through us, he says, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul does what he does. He suffers what he suffers so that the wisdom of God in the gospel is, is put on display through the church so that it's made known. Now, this last part is confusing. He says, specifically, it's so that it's, it's made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Like, I would think, right, if I, was, if I was writing this instead of Paul, I would say so that it's made known to, like, to people, right, down here. Not, not up there, but, but down here. That's who really needs to know these things, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says it's the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And I think there's, I think there's two reasons for this. The first is, is what Paul has already talked about in Ephesians. He talked about how when when God raised Jesus from the dead, he seated him at his right hand far above all all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions in this age and the age to come. So he's emphasizing Jesus's kingship, his his kingdom, right? One of the gospel, one of the things the gospel does and it highlights is it emphasizes the reality that that Jesus is king. And, And those of us who trust in him, we are citizens in his kingdom. And so Paul here is saying that he preaches Christ so that those rulers and authorities in the heavenly places would be reminded of the fact that Jesus is king and his kingdom is advancing and their power is limited. He is on his throne and his kingdom is forever and their time is over. The second reason why I think Paul says it this way is because of the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. 
And I'm not going to sing it for you, so don't get too excited. But that song, which I like, by the way, right? Don't hear this as me saying I don't like the song. But it's about spreading the, the good news that Jesus was born, that the Messiah has born. And so there's this kind of recurring call to action in the song, go tell it on the mountain. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually been on mountains. But there's not a lot of people up there. You know, like I, I have not run the numbers. I haven't actually counted all the people on all the mountains. I don't have statistical data. But I think I can confidently say that there are more people not on mountains than there are on mountains. So if we're purely talking in like missional strategy here, it makes more sense to say, go tell it not on the mountain <laughs> rather than on the mountain. Now, and I know, I know the song also has the line over the hills and everywhere, right? It's, it's included, <laughs> but I'm just saying strategically, let's go tell people down here and then like on the way to the mountain, then we can tell them. Now, I'm being a little ridiculous to make a point, right? The point of the song is to proclaim the good news of Jesus' birth everywhere. Um, and like, if, if we do it in difficult places, we'll also do it in the easier places. And I think Paul's point is similar. When he's talking about making it known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, I think what he's saying is that uh, the more we do the work of sharing the gospel here, the more people that embrace Jesus as king and are citizens of his kingdom, the more his kingdom expands and takes back territory from the enemy, the more that happens down here, the more it will be known up there. Right? The more his kingdom will be emphasized, the more it will be evident to those rulers and authorities that Jesus actually is king. So that is Paul's aim as a minister is to make that known. And he did things this way, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this was, again, God's redemptive plan from the beginning. It's, it's been his eternal purpose. This has always been the plan. Like the church isn't plan B. This isn't a, an audible from God. This was his plan all along eternally. It's been accomplished now in Jesus. And because of Jesus, verse 12, we have boldness and access to God through our faith in him. All right, so Paul, in, in verse 12, is, is reminding the Ephesians that they're no longer on the outside. They're, they're on the inside. They have access to God, and because of Jesus, they can have confidence and, and boldness in that access. And so it's because of all these things that, the, you know, these, these glorious truths of the gospel that Paul is unpacking, this is why he is a minister. This is why he's willing to suffer. This is why his suffering is, is for their good, and he says, for their, their glory, right? It's so that they would, would move further in their faith. They would grow in their faith and they would, they would reach the end and their glory in Jesus. Right? Paul knows the truth about Jesus. And so it's his mission, his, his ministry to put that on display for the Ephesians, for the Gentiles. And he's giving his life to make these things known. 
So the question is, what do, what do we do about this, right? This, this is what Paul is doing about these things, but, but what do we do about them? I think there, there are three takeaways for us this morning. The first is that if you're here this morning and, and you have not trusted in Jesus for salvation, know that this gospel that Paul has been talking about, that, that we've been talking about, like it's for you. It's, it's not just for the Ephesians. It's, it's for you. Like you can go from being someone on the outside, someone who's alienated from God, who's alienated from other people to being part of the family. Jesus died to free you from your sin, to, to bring you into a family, to, to make you new and to give you new life in him. And so I would encourage you to, to talk to somebody about that today before you leave. A second takeaway for us, for, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, right? I think, I think we can, can learn from and, and benefit from and, and be challenged by what Paul says he does in his life because of the gospel, right? Through your life, like Paul, God wants to use your life and your relationships to make the, the unsearchable riches of Jesus known, you're, you're, you're probably not going to be imprisoned for the gospel. You're probably not going to suffer the same kind of punishment Paul did. But, but being someone who wants to make Jesus known means that we're going to be called to self-denial. It means we're going to be inconvenienced. It means we're going to have to do things we don't want to do. But like Paul, we can have the same motivation. We can say, because I want these people to know who Jesus is, I'm going to do this hard thing. The third takeaway for us is that Paul says, at the end, he says that we have, we have boldness and access to God with confidence through our faith in Jesus. And, and access is an amazing thing. So this week, I used my, my internet access to, to fix my van I watched a video that was like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I did it and didn't break it, which is awesome. I used internet access to, to order groceries, get a recipe so I could figure out what I wanted to make for dinner. We used internet access to, to share with most of you what happened to Olivia so you could pray for us. Like it's, internet access is, is very, very useful. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Access to God is much more beneficial and much more useful and much more helpful. But I would guess that most of you are like me and that we use the internet access way more. And so this is my challenge to you and to me this week. Every moment where you're like, I want to look this thing up. Got this weird pain in my side. I'm going to go to WebMDB and figure out what I'm dying of. Before you do that, just pray about it. Access God with boldness and confidence. When you have a, a problem that you're trying to figure out the answer to, like, before you go to the internet, turn to God and, and pray. Like it's, 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 it's not complicated, right? Maybe at the end of a hard day, you, you just want to relax and stream your favorite show. Before you do that, talk to him about how your day was. And, and, and don't make this complicated. I'm talking about like a sentence 
or two. You see, like the great thing about having unlimited access to God is that we have unlimited access to God. Right? It's not like he's going to be like, you just called me a minute ago. Why are you calling me again? Right? We can access him at any time. And so if you just have four words to say, do it. And then you can say more words later. And listen, I promise you this. You and I are going to fail at this this week. A lot, probably. But this is the good news. Jesus is always mediating on our behalf. And so when we go to WebMD instead of God about some problem we have, Jesus is mediating on our behalf. When we look to other things other than him, he's mediating on our behalf. He is better than us. He's using his access for our benefit even when we are not. And so recognize that and also recognize that he's given his spirit to us to, to make us better, to, to grow us, to help us, to, to turn to him more and turn to other things less. And realize, right, that if, if you get to the end of this week and you only pray one more time than you prayed last week, like that's a win, right? Like we, we want to kill it. But even slightly better performance, slightly incremental improvements. Like that's, that's a good thing that we should celebrate. And when you realize that, pray about that. And then you've got two times more. So let's pray together. Let's, let's use this access, this, this boldness, this confidence that we have because of Jesus to, to thank God for sending Jesus. And then let's continue to, to worship together in our service. Jesus, we thank you that you came to make a way. Even when we were dead. Even when all we had was rebellion and rejection in our hearts. You came for us. To, to move us from the domain of darkness into your kingdom. And so we pray this morning that, that you would send your spirit to, to help us to, to remember and, and to recognize what you've done for us. And that you would enable us to respond rightly to the gospel. That it would stir our hearts with gratitude. It would motivate us towards praise. It would motivate us towards obedience. We thank you that you died so that we could have access to you. And that even when we fall short, you are mediating on our behalf. You're praying for the things that we should have prayed for. And so we pray this week that you would send your spirit in our life to enable us to, to turn to you more and also to be willing to suffer 
so that others might know more of your unsearchable riches. It's in your name we pray. Amen.